Bikes give me anxiety. I mean, I'm not scared of them. Like, if you're cycling next to me, I'm not going to be fearful of you. But after cycling a ton as a kid to get around, I haven't really ridden a bike in almost a decade. I even prefer our treadmill at home than the Peloton, and, and I really couldn't tell you why. And I get that this is irrational and, and also kind of ironic. I just think I've, I've forgotten how to ride a bike. But as you all know, there's, of course, this saying that says it's like riding a bike, which basically means if you learned it once, you'll never forget it. And you should be able to pick it back up again without much difficulty. Now, what the hell does this have to do with subscriptions and operating your SaaS business? Well, as operators, we build grooves in our brain around solving problems that are either very specific to our craft, things like knowing how to spin up a new marketing campaign, or are very general to just execution, things like how to approach a problem regardless of how you've handled or if you've handled it before. These grooves are the many bikes of being a successful executive and someone who has ridden a lot of bikes to continue the, you know, clunky metaphor here and built a lot of mental grooves is today's guest, David Kinsell, CEO of Drift, who's also built five other successful companies. In this interview that we recorded at the end of 2019, he tells us about the current state of Drift but he also shares many bike lessons he's learned and had to relearn when scaling a business. All that and more coming up next. From ProfitWell Recur, it's Protect the Hustle, where we explore the truth behind the strategy and tactics of B2B SaaS growth to make you an outstanding operator. On today's episode, David Kinsell gives you the lowdown on hypergrowth. We talk about the recipe to embrace resistance to change, navigating the exposure to perfection, the unsatisfactory answer to nailing company culture, and the key to repeatable scaling success. We've talked before, obviously, you know, you and I know each other. Where's Drift now? Like technically you're five years old, yep. but really you've been in market with the conversational marketing product for three years. Three years. Where are you now versus three years ago at this point? What dimension? I mean, we in the last year we've kind of close to tripled headcount, and so we're like three fifty right now, and so you're three fifty right now. Three hundred fifty. You're finally well. spending that VC money. <laughs> yeah, it's there getting spent. Go. That's yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Three hundred fifty, mostly in Boston, but we're in San Francisco, Tampa, and Seattle as well. Yeah, Tampa's brand new. Brand too. new. Just started. So we have like ten people there right now. We'll probably have like fifty by the end of next year there. So where are we? It's been an amazing ride, but it's been you know we've been through this hypergrowth phase of like. Three years, we really had an insane amount of growth, yeah. feeling like, you know, trip more than tripling most years. This last year we tripled. And with that comes, you know, lots of pain, right? Going through it because when you compress everything, you're also compressing the uh, time where you get all this feedback and this change and this resistance to change and pain and all these things in a very compressed cycle. And for me, like this year, 2019, has been probably the hardest year of my career going through it. Even though like on the surface, you look at the business, it's been like growing like crazy and awesome, you know, in whatever way you want to describe it. But like for me personally, it's been the hardest, hardest yeah. year. That's pretty deep. Yeah, I've been doing it a long time. I was going to say, to give some context, like yeah. you're no spring chicken no in like the best chicken. way. I mean, yeah. you got, you're seasoned like in yeah. terms of everything. You've, you've probably seen most things. Yeah. But this is the hardest. And, and hardest, for sure. What axes? Is it people? I mean, it's probably everything, right? But like, what are, what are like the top three? Like people, infrastructure, what's it look like? It's been pretty much like 80% easily people, if not 90% people pain. And then there's been other systematic infrastructure pains. But it all stems from one thing, which was at the beginning of the year, 
end of 2018, beginning of 2019, I reorged the entire company. So I basically flipped the entire company upside down, reorged, changed everyone's job because we needed to start to focus on serving different customer types differently. And so a thing that had happened was we had grown to a certain size, which is a lot of people, a lot of customers, but we were only had one model. We treated every customer the same from a product standpoint, from a sales standpoint, success standpoint, support standpoint. Like if it was the biggest company in the world or the smallest company in the world, we treated you exactly the same way, which is not great, you know, if you're at either end of that, that spectrum. And so I, I decided to flip the company all upside down, resegment, put us into business units. And that happened at the beginning of this year. And because I was doing that, I was like, this is going to be a hell of a lot of pain. We're changing everyone's job. A lot of people signed up for a different type of company than we were today, right? Like this different type of model, I should say. And so it's going to be painful. But no matter how much, you know, you ready yourself for pain, you go through and you're like, whoa, that was like way more painful than I thought. And it was all resistance to change and changing jobs and changing focus and that. And then, you know, really that first half of this year, 2019, was insanely painful, the most painful ever for me. And then, you know, by the end of Q2, we started to see the results of the segmentation and business unit shift. And it was like, whoa, that was worth it. Healthier cohorts all across, like customers having success, uh, way more success. And so it was mathematically worth it, but like the pain was nuts. So one thing I can't grok here is obviously you had massive amounts of change happening from mm-hmm. zero to mm-hmm. like, I don't know what headcount was at the beginning of the year, but like, mm-hmm. you know, let's just say 200, right? Yep. You had zero to 200, you had massive amounts of change. There might have been a little bit of like resistance and things mm-hmm. like that. And obviously, oh crap, we don't have that thing we had when we were 10 people. That sucks, yep. blah, blah, blah. What was the difference between the zero to 200 and then two to two to 350 or, or basically from here to 2019 and then the year 2019? Like, why was that change not as like chill with like the base? I think, and I don't know if this is right, but I think when we were growing before, the expectation and the job and what they signed up for was always the same. We were just adding more people to the recipe. And then, you know, in the beginning of this year, we changed the recipe completely and said, your job is going to be different now. You came in and you were selling SMB and now I need, we need you to probably sell mid-market or enterprise, entirely different thing, different quota, different model, different this, different market, different marketing, uh, different product, you know, like everything like changed on them, kind of like, you know, we pulled the rug in some ways out from underneath them. And, you know, we prepped all along that way uh, to try to coach people. But, you know, even if they knew the pain was coming, it's always worse. And it seems, and you know, we live in a different time now. Like we live in a time where, you know, opportunities are endless. There's endless opportunities for anyone who's going to work at ProfitWell or who's going to work at Drift. Like they have infinite options, especially in Boston and San Francisco markets where we were predominantly. And so you're putting them through all this change as it's a competitive environment. Uh, You know, we live in the post, you know, Google and Facebook fringe benefit world where, you know, everyone expects that every business in the world will give them free lunch and they give them free this and give them free that and have wellness and this and all these considerations in the world. And it's easy to look at all those models because now we can see them through social media and through the internet and think like, oh, there's only problems inside this business, right? Because a lot of people who are working at ProfitWell, I would assume, or at Drift are pretty young in their career cycle. So for us, you know, our average age is 27, 28. And, you know, obviously, Myself and others are anchoring that way on the other end, and it's still 27, 28. You know, like, it's pretty young. And so this is the first real job that a lot of people have had, and they've only had a history of full employment and endless bounty. And so that's the context that they're coming from, and then you're putting through them through a lot of change and a lot of pain. So that leads to this kind of recipe. I 
think, you know what's kind of funny about it too, is like it's easy to say that there's entitlement, right? Mm -hmm. And on some level there probably is mm -hmm. because you know, this is why, like, there's the joke or the meme that's like, oh, we need a good war, right? Yeah, you know, yeah, like, there's totally. that, like, oh, no one ever struggled. These people, some, some people have never struggled. Never. So when they go through some of this adversity, but I think it's almost, like, too simple, right? Mm -hmm. And, like, because there's a good group of those folks who maybe have struggled or, you know, maybe it's not an entitlement thing, but it's actually coming from a place of, like, at least in my opinion, that they don't know how to voice, like, concern or they don't know how to voice, like, I am not happy, yes. right? Like, have you seen a lot of that? Because I, I've seen some of that on a much smaller scale than you guys. But like, as you're going through this, is it something where you're seeing the the older, more experienced folks being like, hey, I understand we need to do this change, but there's this important thing, about, like a very measured thing. And then you have some of the folks who are less seasoned being like, you know, not saying anything and then just getting aggressive, like to their friends and like somehow it gets back to the management. Like, totally, like are you seeing, totally like, what are you seen seeing that. with that? I'd yeah. say first, the way I think about it is like, this is just a natural generational evolution right? That's happening. So every generation, if we think about it, myself and I think about, you know, how I grew up versus how my daughter's 14, how she's grown up or how someone who's like 22 has grown up, like we've seen different worlds and have different expectations. That's the only context that we bring into the work that we do. And then if, we, if I think about how my mom grew up or my dad grew up, whoa, that was crazy to me. And then we think about how their parents grew up, like it was insane, right? Like, so if you go back far enough, like they're coming out of depression, they're coming out of like real hard strife. And so like, you know, so generationally things are becoming easier for us over time. We cannot blame the generation because that's the only context that they have. And then, so that's happening on one, on one axis. On the other axis for me, like the exposure to perfection is like through the roof, right? Because the internet brings us like a view, Instagramification of the world of like, I expect everything to be perfect because the only lens I see is I was only brought up in this great environment and everyone that I can see, at least socially, even though it's pretend, looks like they're living a perfect life and that's a perfect company and it's like up and to the right and everything's awesome. And so like, we're almost like living in a fun house of like, it's not real reality that we're living, but that's all we see. And then can you blame that person who's only seen that? for believing that the world should be like that. And so we've definitely seen that. And, you know, there was a period earlier with us at Drift where we're like 27, 28 average now. We were like, I don't know where we were. Maybe we were like 24, 25, something like that. So we were even younger before we started to bring in some more senior, older people. And there was even more distorted. And, I, and myself and Elias, who's my co-founder, and some of the people who are, again, older, were like, are we crazy? What's going on? Like, this seems amazing to us, but to... Like a lot of the people on the team, it seems like nothing but problems and complaints and what have you. And I'm like, what is going on? You know, the complaints from everything from like, we do free lunch five days a week. And uh, I've never had free lunch in any business I've been a part of, including public companies. And so like, you know, on paper, I'm looking at it as the CEO. I'm saying like, holy, we spend a million dollars a year on free lunch. What? Are we insane? This is insanity. And then on the other end, I'm hearing complaints about like, there's not enough sushi today. Like I only got two course, I only got two servings on three servings and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, we have multiple floors at our office and it's like, oh, uh, that lunch now is, is served on the sixth floor, but I'm a developer. I'm on the seventh floor. Like I have to walk downstairs to get the lunch. I'm like, it's 12 steps. Like what more do you want? And then also seeing it flipped all the way to an extreme of like, you know, to the conspiracy theories of we only do free lunch to enslave us to our desk. And like, what, what are you talking about? Like, how do you see through these weird lenses? So we saw all of those extremes. And we saw them everywhere. We'd see them through anonymous surveys. You know, anonymity is great, but it, it kind of sucks from a feedback standpoint, especially if you're running a business through anonymity inside the building, anonymity outside the building through something like Glassdoor or what have you. And just like 
couldn't really figure it out. And then we started to bring in more senior people because we were at that stage of business. And they would come in and be like, this is like paradise. What is this company? Like, this is amazing. Like, we do all this? This is nuts. Because they brought a different context in. Their context was like, they went through all these different businesses. Maybe some of them failed, some of them succeeded. Maybe there were harder times, whatever it was. And then they saw us and they were like, this is like Willy Wonka's like chocolate factory. Like, yeah. what is this? Right? So like that, at least as founders, as leaders in the company helped us to be like, oh, okay, we're not crazy and try to help us understand like maybe there's a generational context that's missing. But how do you, how do you handle that now? I mean, you got some hindsight. Yeah, you got, <laughs> I was going to say, you got some hindsight, right? Theoretically making it worse because yes. you're providing sushi. Totally. You're doing these things totally. way worse you know and, and so you're not helping recontextualize folks who don't have no. that context no. and i'm sure there's a little bit of like get off my lawn mm -hmm. like yeah, mindset right because you're just like i even have that i was yeah. like do you realize like we didn't have these things yeah. like our first couple years and that doesn't help doesn't like help. it doesn't help at all it just and it makes you maybe feel a little bit better but it just doesn't help what's your theory then if because i know you've improved this but it's probably not solved no. and this is not solved on any companies no. Do you just stay the course and just, um, you know, screw it? We've thought a lot or? about it. And, you know, I've gone through all those, like, phases of grieving, I guess, yeah. of, like, you know, get off my lawn, punks, yeah, and, uh, you know, yeah. deny on the whole thing. And, you know, for us, you know, we have this amazing head of people. Her name is Dina Upton. She's amazing. And when we were going, especially in the beginning of the year, when we were going through all this pain, like, we were making so many more improvements and adding more benefits because of the things that people were complaining. But then it was like, you know, I would talk to her and I'd be like, things are getting worse. Like we're getting worse feedback. Like we just keep adding more stuff, like free this, free that, work from home this, do that, do that. Like we're adding like everything that everyone asked for and more. And then the, there's just more complaints. I'm like, what? How could that be possible? So I came away with that thinking like, well, one, you know, like, we need to be slower about the changes that we make because most of the changes that we made, people weren't cognizant of them. Like they were happening so fast. So you needed more time. Again, this is like the flip side of hypergrowth. Like you just need more time to get people, get them along, get them to understand. We spend a lot more time in kind of reinforcing a message over and over again before we move on to the next thing and proving that, proving to ourselves in some way by measuring it, people are understanding, they recognize the change that we made, they know the why behind it, where before it was just like, again, hypergrowth, change, 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 change. And when we're 50, even 100 people, the org was made up of people that probably look more like me and you, or just like, awesome, change. They love change, they want it. Let's go, let's, let's go, go, let's go, go. let's go. Yeah, and then yeah. now, as you mature, as you get to a different stage, like there are different kinds of people coming in weren't those kind of people. And that's great because you need to start to balance out the team. We were doing that. But, you know, they need time to be brought along. And so we spend a lot of time doing that now. We spend a lot of time for us. One of the ways we combat it is one of the things that's really important to myself and Elias, who's my co-founder, is diversity. Both of us were raised by single moms. Both of us are Hispanic. Both of us, like myself, I, I would say, like, until I worked with Elias for the first time, which was 10 years ago, I had never worked with another Hispanic person in tech. Like, I didn't, I didn't even meet one. You know, like, now I think about it, like, wait, that's weird. But at the time, it was, like, just my normal. I was like, oh, I never even met one before. I'm sure they exist. Because of that background, what's really important to us is diversity, opening up access to people who come from different backgrounds who might not have the same access to get into technology. So we are spending a lot of time as a company and personally in this area. And we find that this is helping to bring context to the different teams because they were basically exposing them to something that they had never, not because it was any fault of their own, but because they didn't have a, the chance, exposing them to different people who have been brought up differently, who had different access. And it's giving them a little bit of context, almost like when people 
travel the world for the first time, it gives them like, it's like an awakening. We're giving them a mini version of that, of just exposing them to different people and different struggles that people go through. I don't know if this is like a comfortable question or not, but like yeah. you, you obviously came like a lot of like companies in the past and you've obviously like seen inside a lot of companies. HubSpot seemed to got getting something right, yeah. you know, and you like reformulated that product team yep. into the juggernaut that it is. You know, it's the culture, they seem to somehow like mm -hmm. really nail. Obviously, there were a lot of bumps as they were going through the similar stages that you yeah. guys were in, but they've kind of like figured something out now oh, at huge. the scale, yeah, right? Huge. What do you right. think that they've done? Is it just that they kind of grew before this, you know, lack of a better phrase, entitlement, decontextualized, like thing was happening? Is it that they now are massive, so they kind of can hide behind, not hide, but like they get the benefit of size, right? Mm -hmm. Like, what do you think that they've kind of figured out there? A few things. I mean, tons of credit. They've done amazing stuff and it's been a focus ever since I was there, which is, you know, 2011 through 14, 15, when I was there. At that point, it was a focus, but it was a very small focus. It wasn't kind of like what we see today, but there was always a desire to want to do this. I think there is a benefit that all companies that were kind of grew up in that era and the, not only them, Zendesk and Marketo and blah, 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 you know, like that era of company where competition was way less, right? You know, I always say like at HubSpot, maybe we had five competitors. I don't know, maybe like two really, like real competitors. We had lots of endless challenges, different challenges, but we didn't have that one challenge. And like starting that company today, there's going to be a thousand competitors coming after you. So like if things were slower because of that, we could take more time because of that. That was an important part of the culture, but we didn't spend a lot of energy on. But once they went public, now they had the capital and the energy and the desire, the desire was always there to actually really focus and hammer down on this thing. It was an interesting thing because I think I look back to that, uh, my experience there and so many things, and I'm looking at it, trying to figure out lessons for Drift, but like so many of the things that we really got right and really worked well, it was like pushed down, wasn't a thing that was like, this is the imperative of the company that we have to do that. This is a very strange thing because you try to reverse engineer it and be like, how do I do this? And what do I got to do? And how do I get people aligned and blah, blah, blah. And it was like, we never really actually spent time thinking about that. We had values and we reiterated those values. We hired probably the right people. So we probably had the right values, right people, and then the right timing and the magic formula works somehow, which is like a, not a satisfying answer for someone who's as analytical as you or less so analytical like myself, like you want a recipe. And it was like, it wasn't really a recipe that I saw throughout that thing. Like, and even seeing it before that and then now seeing it after, there wasn't really a recipe except for like support to take on some of those initiatives. It's probably like hiring for the values. Too, yes. Right? Yep. I mean, especially after, you know, you reach that point, there's all the bumps and there's always bumps like mm -hmm. in any company, whether they're stagnant, growing. Oh yeah, the failing, size that right? we're at Drift, I was at HubSpot during that time. It was almost identical bumps. Yeah, all of them. Like, crazy. And, and probably a lot like of word like, for word. What the hell is going on bumps where you're totally. just like, I, am I nuts? Like, yeah. And so many people left, sorry to interrupt you. So many people left during that phase and that was the wrong time to leave, like economically and career wise. But a lot of people left during that phase when you hit that initial scaling kind of similar stage that we're in. Like they left, but like all the good stuff was on the other side. Like, and so I always, at least the people that I talk to, I talk about like, once you hit that phase, like the good stuff's like after. Like the good stuff, like we were romanticized, like starting the company and like bootstrapping, like we're just gonna like- But it's get terrible. Stuff. It's terrible, <laughs> it sucks. 
you romanticize it because it was so terrible. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah, it's yeah, awful. Yeah. And then we're now in this scaling phase and as hard as it seems, and it is hard, like I said, when I onboard new people onto the team now, I'm like, you're lucky to join now. A year ago, it was madness. Two years ago, forget about it, it was mental. Like three years, four years ago, it was insane. Like, this is awesome. And as time goes on, like, you know, once you get to the next stage, like that's way easier, way better to join at that point. And so like those phases are way more, I always think like the fun hasn't started yet. The fun starting on the other side. This is like the hard thing. You know, the hard thing about hard things is now is painful and it's only gonna get better if, you, if we can like hold on, not self-destruct and make it to the other side. When you think pragmatically about kind of where you're at, thinking of like 2020, 2021, is there any like blocking and tackling like specific things you're doing? Like, is it increased communication with the team? Yeah. Like telling people not to be bitch asses? Like, <laughs> like what is it? I know you talked about like diversity and like yeah. getting a better proportion of folks to mm -hmm. kind of recontextualize things. I'm sure you've gotten terrible anonymous feedback internally. Insane. Where you're like, I about can't, my sneakers. oh, about your, yeah, the Gucci. The Not these, but a different Yeah, thing. like, and, and you sit there, and I know, like, you're a very mindful guy, and so I'm sure you got, went through an initial, like, ah, and then you were just like, okay, like, let me think through this. With that kind of stuff, like, how do you handle it? Like, how do you actually handle it? Like, I'm sure you don't ignore it. No, I can't ignore it. I wish I could ignore it. You know, I would say, like, I'm a super, like, logical, robotic, Spock-like. Spock is from Star Trek, if you're not old enough Spock like being where things don't emotionally affect me much and therefore I'm not that empathetic I'm not that emotional of a person which has been good in starting companies because I can go through a lot more pain I think than than a lot of people which is necessary but you know like this year like you hear again when we went through this tough patch and you hear like comments about your sneakers and comments about this and comments about free lunch and comments and they were coming like every single day even me was just like i can't i can't take it anymore like i'm gonna break like this is like way too much and so like things that i did were i may be still going through it but like talking to other people who went through the same phase you know like one of the best things that happened to me was i was searching for something on enps employee nps i was searching for it for drift and i stumbled upon some old emails that i had back when i was at hubspot came up in the search and i was like wait a second i started reading i was like wait this is word for word and we were at the same kind of revenue stage, kind of employee count kind of at that time. And I'm like reading all the complaints from the different teams and what we need to get better at. I'm like, it's identical. You know, it was one of those like moments where you're just like, wait, am I reading this right? Is this an old email, a new email? You removed the name and it was the same thing. And it gave me comfort to be like, oh yeah, I forgot about that. You know, because you forget about the pain and you're like, we went through the same exact thing. And it was just like, either it was like the speed of growth or it was just like, a factor that had to do with a certain amount of people at that time, which was similar size as us, that you ran into the same exact things. And the good thing was like, oh, we made it through that. Okay. It gave me history. It gave me context. So I was able to look back at history and say like, oh, it's possible to get past this. I know good stuff will come on the other side. And it's not just me like screwing everything up. It was just like it had to do with a certain amount of people and a certain amount of change because we did a lot of change at the same time back then. It's hard for people and we just got to like get through this phase. It's kind of funny you say because we, we do forget the pain. Like someone asked me, like, what's the hardest thing about building a company or what was one of the hard things I have? And I like it's hard to, like, talk about the thing that hasn't happened in the past six yeah. months. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. Because you, you've rationalized how, oh, I got through that. Therefore, everything's fine. Mm -hmm. And you think back, oh, that wasn't that bad. Yeah. Because if it was that bad, <laughs> yeah. you would have stopped, yeah, right? Been. Yeah, yeah. If somehow, and this is obviously impossible, but if somehow we were to, like, to pull you out of this company, out of Drift right now, 
in a parallel universe, we put you in like at employee 325. Yeah. So you kind of know this is coming. Yeah. Would you have done anything different? No, uh, or could, is there to, something you think you could have? I guess I, that's a better I want to say, say that I would have. I think I could have theoretically done things differently, but I probably most likely wouldn't have. Because when I found those emails and I was reading about that stuff in the past, I was like, I had all the hindsight. I had all the learnings from it. And I went through it and I had the examples and they were written and I, I could look back and reference them. But yet I still did the same dumb Well, because you prioritize, right? Yeah. Like it's not a fire until it's a fire. And then yeah. it's, you know, it's and a then, bonfire yeah, then. Yeah, it wasn't like, there, yeah. you know, looking back, like what pain's coming next? I'm like, yeah. let me get re ready for it. And so like, I probably wouldn't do anything differently. But, you know, I do think for sure I've learned that the lesson of like that we forget the pain. You know, I've started this Drifts of Fifth Company. I started all these companies and then it wasn't really until this company that in that first year and a half when we were trying to find product market fit that I was like, why the hell did I do this again? Why did I start another company? Like what deep flaw do I have in me that would make me start another company? And I was just like, that's finally at that point when I went through that and just like every day of like, why am I doing this? That I was like, I'm never starting another company again. This is it. I'd said that a little bit in the past before and then, but this is like, no way. This is it. So in that parallel universe, I'm not going to that parallel universe. We'll see what happens in the next decade. Yeah, no, no, sir. You ain't dead yet, man. No, Let's go. No, sir. Not yet, but no more companies. So I just make Drift last forever, but like I cannot start another one. Because that pain, I don't know, for some reason it was the fifth go around where the pain really was like really acute and really could like be like, this is crazy. Why does anyone start a company? Do you think it's because like, it's like a weird way to think about it, but you, you kind of have your own entitlement, right? Yes, Because you're, sure. you're sitting there and you're thinking, I sometimes have this too, where I'm like, no, no, no. I already, I already went through that. Yes. I got through that and I earned my way out of it. Totally. Why the hell should I have to go back totally. to go through that again? Yeah, right? it's the part that no one talks about. Like, go through all these companies, go through the, all these experiences. And, like, there is an entitlement that gets built into it, even though you try to fight it hard, which is like, wait, I already did this. I already know how to, already went through this pain. Like, I'm on the other side in some ways. And now I'm willingly putting myself back into this thing. And then I'm like, this is one of the reasons it's so hard once you've done a couple of products or companies or what have you, because like all of a sudden we were back in the eating everyday phase. And no one talks about that of like, you would feel it every day in the people that you would talk to. And like you, who was always there for us from day one uh, as an ally, but like people that were like, I always tell you, I'm always the guy who's like, this sucks. Yeah, yeah, this yeah, sucks. Totally. I'm there for you, but yeah. I'm probably not helping with this emotion no, that no, much. No, no, yeah, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. You would, I would run into all these people who were like either customers or this or that or whatever in the past or friends. And then you start back at zero and they're just like, they forget who you are. And you're just like, you're back. It's like, I can't even think of the movie at the time. Like you're back trying to earn your stripe, like knocking on door for door, like trying to beg someone to help you. And it was like, wait, last week, you know, you were asking me for help and I was helping you. And this week you're like closing the door. It's humbling, it's like, man. Yeah, it was incredibly That's humbling. Ego is the enemy, right? Ego yeah. got crushed. We uh, find that, we find crushed. that. It's funny that the really like similar situation is like you, you've really developed some young guns yeah. in your day. Yeah. Like, yeah. and you, and I've learned how much time that takes. So like taking, time. taking a high potential you know, kid for the lack of a better phrase and basically like spending an exorbitant amount of time working through like helping them move their egos, yeah. helping them, like helping Day, them basically night. get there before you got there in your yeah. own career. And then we've had that with a couple of young folks and it's been so rewarding, mm -hmm. but then we're looking at like the next crop and we're like, I don't know if I have the energy to no, do this no again. More. Right. No more. And so it's, it's like a very similar thing where yeah. you just kind of forget 
like that pain and like what pain. you've gone yeah, through. Yeah, we did that. I've luckily been able to do that with a lot of people and we've had this amazing experience. They've gone on to do amazing things. But when we think about drift, you know, it is a thing that I talk to all the leaders and managers in the team about. And I don't want to sound negative, but I call those like, those are like projects. Those are people that you invest in, you're willing to invest in because you see high potential, high return in them. But you cannot have too many projects. Yeah. Like, and we got to the phase like probably in the last year of just like, talk to manager and it's like if you manage five people all five people can't be high potential people right like meaning they can't you can't have five projects yeah. maybe you can have one but you cannot have a team of five projects of all that you're going to mentor all of them to come up you got to start to bring in people who can carry stuff on their own and maybe you have one or two i'd say one max that you can try to invest in but in the early days we were all about like helping those up and coming super young, super hungry, high potential people, which we still do. You know, once you get to, you can't have an entire company of that. A huge shout out to David Kinsell for doing the podcast. Now you have what it takes to scale effectively. Today, we talked about the recipe to embrace resistance to change, navigating the exposure to perfection, the unsatisfactory answer to nailing company culture, and the key to repeatable scaling success. Oh, and if you want to support ProfitWell and the show, we would really, really appreciate it if you gave us a five-star review of this podcast or the equivalent rating wherever you listen and watch. The podcast gods tend to like that type of thing, and we like to appease the podcast gods. Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe to and tell your friends about Protect the Hustle, a podcast from ProfitWell Recur, the largest, fastest-growing media network dedicated to the world of subscriptions. 